0: First You Think is a not-for-profit ministry of the First Unitarian Church of Des Moines. Support us at ucdsm.org today. A few years ago, a friend gave me a gift. He had grown up on the Mille Lacs Ojibwe Reservation, north of the Twin Cities, And I asked him to help shape a ceremony for someone who was dying, a person who, for all their life, for various reasons, had frequently passed as white, but who was in fact Native. The person was troubled in their spirit as they died. And Derek, my friend, is a chaplain. He's gentle and honest, compassionate, funny, direct. He brought deep solace to the dying person, helped them prepare for the transition with easy conversation and hard conversation, with ritual and music, making space for questions, fear, regrets, confession, and forgiveness. He invited the person to imagine the memorial that we would hold outside on native land once they'd passed away. He showed pictures of the place, described the water and the wild rice, the eagles nesting there. The dying person was Mohawk, not Ojibwe. They'd moved here from out east. With Derek's help, they came home here. Their soul came home and they died quietly. All of this took place within about a week in a nursing home and Derek seemed to me so masterful as a chaplain so intuitively capable with someone he'd never met so I was surprised when he told me that every night through that time he was speaking on the phone with his uncles and aunts and once or twice in person driving all the way up to Malax to consult with them to ask them things because he said I'm still young on my journey. He needed the wisdom of elders, family and chosen family, teachers to guide him in his work. Even though he had years of experience and a master's of divinity, a whole lived life in prayer and study and service, he told me, I'm still young on my journey. That was a gift he gave me that way of understanding my own work and life. And I've held that phrase like a little seed to plant in my heart and see whether such humility and grace could ever take root in there. It is such a beautiful, vulnerable strength, I think, and so hopeful to think of yourself not as accomplished, fully formed, fully informed an expert on anything, but youthful on your journey. At any age, still open, teachable, still standing in the need of prayer, as the old song says, needing guidance from elders who are living and others who've passed on. The person Derek cared for was my brother Mark, adopted like me as an infant, but from different birth families. We learned late in Mark's life that what he had believed all along since he was a little kid was true. That he came from a native family. When Derek met him the very first time, he said, Your sister hasn't told me much about you, but I know this. There are two Indians in this room, and they're both drunks. And one got lucky for no reason, was just blessed with good luck out of nowhere. And one got bad luck for no reason out of nowhere. And now, for just a little while, We will travel together. Derek was young on his journey. He was in his early 30s then. And he is an old soul. This is Mother's Day. And I've always loved the practice in some traditions of wearing a carnation in honor of your mother, a red one if she's living, a white one if she's died. In some black churches, this is a long time custom. And I think sometimes if our church were one that gave out carnations on Mother's Day, I would be covered in flowers, both red and white, like some kind of float in a parade. So many are the mentors, living and dead, women and men, who have guided me, inspired me, bequeathed to me some essential legacy. I'd be covered in carnations, honoring all of the mothers, the fathers, and others who left no children of their own but other gifts as deep in me as DNA. clues about how to be a person. How to be compassionate, how to be joyful and thankful and brave, even in the midst of anything. This is another way of thinking about the interdependent web, which binds us inextricably, not just to each other and all life in the present, but also to the past and therefore to the future. We'd all be covered in flowers because we're all always young on our journey. Mother's Day is complicated. If you open that Hallmark card and squint to read the fine print, you know it is joyful for some and poignant for others, bittersweet for others still, and not sweet at all in any way for still others. So it's good to remember beyond the flowers, the cards, the chocolate, that the day has two origin stories, both beautiful, both true. Anna Jarvis in 1858, calling for a Women's Work Day to honor the invisible economy and networks of mutual aid built by rural women to support each other in the 19th century. And Julia Ward Howe, Unitarian, who in 1870 led a massive demonstration through the streets of Boston, protesting the nation's appetite right after the Civil War for new wars in other people's countries arise she said together with others with mothers and other hoop-skirted co-conspirators she stepped out of the confines of convention and complicit domesticity and said to people weary of war and weary of politics arise then women of this day arise all women who have hearts whether your baptism be of water or of tears and they rose Thousands strong that day. Mothers, many men, they rose and marched and sang and lobbied and wept with rage and hope and organized. The war came anyway, as wars often do, and then they rose again, as we rise again and rise again because we are their descendants. They called it Mother's Peace Day, which makes sense because the work of parenting. The nurture of children, your own and everybody else's, is just like all the other work we ever do for justice and for peace. It's endless. It's thankless, with no guarantee of measurable success ever. And yet, because it's all about the ancestors and descendants, this long story of which our lives and our families, our own kids, are just a microscopic part Because we understand ourselves to be part of something much larger, this evolving human story, we pour our life and strength and blood and breath into the day-to-day ways of being strong and brave and hopeful. The work of parenting, of teaching, of hoping, that's all the work of peace and justice, because it's not just about specific local love, but about life's longing for itself. Our love and care and presence, they're investments in a future we won't ever live to see, but we believe in it. Sometimes against all odds, we believe, we keep on keeping on. Lucille Clifton, African American poet and grandmother, looks at a photo of her grandchildren playing in the yard and speaks a silent prayer. Her poem is called Photograph. My grandsons spinning in their joy round and round and round. Universe, keep them turning, turning black blurs against the window of the world, for they are beautiful and there is trouble coming round and round and round. She's speaking there to a particular black terror in America, a prayer for all the children, mainly boys, who may not grow up in joy and may not grow up at all. Universe, keep them, hold them, protect them and guard them for they are beautiful and there is trouble coming round and round. When you look that way at children you cherish or anybody's children, or anything in this world that's beautiful and fragile, when you look that way with constant fear and love so fierce, you have to pray about it, whether you believe in God or not. Well, then you are looking on that thing with mothering eyes, whether you're a parent or not. You are inhabiting what the Buddha meant when he said, even as a mother watches over her child, so with boundless mind should we cherish all living things. Ibtissam Barakat, Palestinian-American, gives thanks in the reading Heidi shared for the ones who came before her, the women stirring sugar into tea and lemon into lentil soup, strong women with stirrings of freedom just shimmering inside of them. Some spoke about it, some didn't, but growing up, she could just feel their palpable power. It gave her ground, to stand on, even though as a Palestinian, there's not been in her lifetime any land or ground or state or patch of earth to claim as home and call her home her own. And there may never be. But still, there's something in that legacy of love passed to her, like a recipe or a quilt, that inheritance of fierce maternal tenderness and groundedness that makes life beautiful. Makes you feel you sort of belong in it, even if the whole world says you don't. Politics and soul work, sacrament and public witness, faith and action. Where exactly does one strand leave off and the other begin? If we're talking about care for our children, care for the earth, or care for the poor, or care for each other in a time of grave danger, when leaders aren't leading and they say every day, your children don't matter, your loved ones don't matter, your elders don't matter, the most vulnerable or the most expendable, the land and water don't matter, and neither does science or justice or truth, and neither do you. What can you do in such a time but arise Every day with your chosen community, bind the strands of your spirit back together and say to yourself, say to your kids, say to your mother or her memory, we're better than this. We're brighter than this. We're more creative and compassionate and human and humane than this. And we deserve because everybody deserves bread and roses too, the necessities of life and also joy. And rest and forgiveness and beauty abounding. Anna Jarvis, Julia Howe, they were practical dreamers looking far forward to the future of women, women's work and power, which means the world's future. But they were also looking inward. They had to have been looking backward, drawing from a deeper well of inspiration, a deeper source of hope than their own bright ideas and innovations. Women before them, possibly their mothers, their grandmothers, grandfathers, ancestors, they never knew. Deep in the shadows of shared history, they had survived through childhood, childbirth, generation after generation, survived all manner of things, had somehow passed on a vision of dignity and equality. Women's worth, human worth, passed it on in character, stories, legacies of struggle. Jarvis and how they did not just appear. They came from somewhere, from this long, infinitely long line of radical imagination, which they then chose to pick up and carry. It's always a continuum history, and we're on it, whether it's the history of a country or a society or a family. Each of us, a dot on the timeline. You're a leaf on the family tree, or maybe an acorn, a seed. And our arms are brimful of inheritance, some of it this unwelcome old baggage we need not pass on, and some of it just luminous, light we did not kindle and we dare not put out. We are descendants, Unitarian Universalists, of Julia Ward Howe and Mary Safford, Eleanor Gordon, Edna Griffin, we are young on our journey, but the road is old. And our work for the love of this world, raising children, raising hell, is unceasing and unglamorous most of the time. And it's holy, therefore, all this grubby hope born in the bones of the soul. When the pandemic came down on us three years ago, I remember clearly standing in my office at the church, my Minnesota church, getting ready for a Sunday, surrounded by shelves of books. These books, actually, (laughs) poetry, science, philosophy, biography, politics, social change, art. I stared at these books, ancient and contemporary, these companions of my heart. And I said to them, to the books, no one was in the building. So already two months into shutdown, I was already talking out loud all the time. I said to my books, y'all don't know anything. None of you has been through anything like this, a global pandemic in the midst of climate crisis in the midst of an unraveling democracy in the midst of all the things. Not a single one of you was published after 2019. You're from the before times. You are ancient history. You all have no idea what it means to be a human right now. Here I've been dusting you all these years, packing you in boxes, hauling you around, studying, and now you have not a single relevant thing to say. You all seem so naive to me now, useless, because you do not know what this is like. I talked to them the way I actually used to talk to my parents. (laughs) It's in middle school. And the books, as usual, kept quiet. Three years later, I'm realizing that, in fact, they do have things to say, some of them, to us in our time, coming out of our plague, our unprecedented present, because it's not unprecedented, not entirely. Poets have spoken before, and scientists, and ordinary and extraordinary dreamers have spoken before, old ancient voices, new voices, about human fear, and human loss, and sickness, and soul sickness and inequity, and death, and love, and the fragile loveliness of bodies. Some of them have spoken about loneliness and hope. My mother died in February 2020, moments before COVID, and she didn't know. She couldn't about our particular afflictions now, but the general parameters of the human condition. She was 97. She knew about that. People have wrestled always. And some, like Jacob with the angel in the inscrutable darkness, some have found a blessing in the struggle, and they write about it, testify in words and lives lived. They've spoken before, if we listen, about the wisdom and beauty taught to us by struggle on the great grand scale of world events and the little stage of our families. We're young on our journey, thirsty for clues. And lots of people, by the way, I have found, are advanced on their journey, old souls, if you will, even if in years they're very young. Next Sunday, you will hear the youth of your church from your coming-of-age class testify in the service. Listen hard to what they say. Each of us needs everybody's wisdom now in these times we're in. Here in the Twin Cities, after George Floyd died, after Dante Wright died and Amir Locke and Philando Castile and Jamar Clark all at the hands of police, after enduring so many things, in the streets I learned a chant. So there'd be these huge crowds of marching people, sometimes in the midst of that, there would come this moment of stillness remarkable uncanny people breathing as one into their grief their confusion their rage the shouting and the noise would stop and you could feel yourself connected to people in so many places on the planet who have taken their hope and their love and their loss to the street would get eerily quiet and then somebody out of that silence would start chanting ancestors watching I know they're watching, ancestors watching, I know, I know. That would go on and on, building to really loud, then dropping to a whisper, hundreds of voices, people reminding each other, reminding themselves. One speaker at one demonstration asked at one point for only young Black men to sing the line, we all heard it. They were reminding themselves that they aren't alone, that they are companioned by this mighty cloud of witnesses, ancestors watching. It is an incantation for protection, but it's also a summons, right? If you felt that your ancestors were looking over your shoulder right now, or your mother or grandma, or someone passed on whom you really respected, how would you behave? What would you show them you could do and dare and dream? If you knew your children were watching or someone else's kids, how would you behave? We're all young on this journey. We're figuring it out. I'm thinking about memory as I do each year on Mother's Day and Father's Day and most days, and about how so much of what we pass from one generation to another is verbal, It's narrative, it's story, it's often written in genealogies or family lore, whether authorized versions or bootleg variations, which may be made up or may be more true, nobody knows. And we carry other legacies, other kinds of inheritance, they're almost in our bodies. We've been left and will bequeath things that are less tangible even than memory, but which are more durable than memory. Ways of being, ways of seeing, ways of looking at this world and moving with intention through our life. When Julia Ward Howe told the people in the street that first Mother's Day, arise, she was speaking to them as activists, calling them out, though they didn't know themselves as such. Change agents, forces to be reckoned with, forces for good. And she was speaking to them at the same time as mothers and others, as weary domestics and servants and all of them who deserved and had already more than earned, not just bread, but roses. Arise, she said, get up, stand up. The day is calling you to struggle and also to joy in the struggle. From Alison Luderman, poet. I think of the invisible work that stitches up the world day and night. The slow, unglamorous work of healing, the way worms in the garden tunnel ceaselessly so the earth can breathe and bees ransack this world into being. There are mothers for everything. And the sea is a mother too, whispering and whispering to us long after we've stopped listening. I lean for a moment against the blue shoulder of the air. The work of my heart is the work of the world's heart. There is no other art. For just a moment, let's hold silence together.